All right, so I'm going to move through this fast. We're in Acts chapter 10, and then we've got a few folks that want to get baptized. And let me just tell you this, that if you didn't come prepared to get baptized, you have absolutely no excuse, because you can't tell me I didn't bring a change of clothes. You know why? Because I brought a change of clothes for you. Okay? <laughs> all right. So that's not, that's not going to work today, all right? So we can throw that one out. We have a change of clothes here for you. All right, so when um, I want to just back up to something that Jesus said to uh, Peter in Matthew chapter 16, and when Peter says that, you know, that you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overpower it. And I will give you, and this is one of those scriptures that's been kind of like hard for us to all to kind of get our mind around, but he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he begins to speak about, you know, since the time of John the Baptist, that the kingdom of, 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 the, the, the kingdom of heaven has been taken by force. And it's forceful men are entering in. They're pressing in. And so then we talked about Jesus in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem. Notice these places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then we said that, that when on the day of Pentecost that Peter, James, and John were there. Remember, Peter was one of the first ones that was called. And so, so Peter was there. He's got the keys to the kingdom. So it's time to unlock the, you know, the, uh, the doors and allow the Jews that want to come in on the day of Pentecost, let them come in. There were 3,000 that were saved. And then we see a little bit uh, later on, Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, we see Philip, one of the evangelists. You know, he's uh, holding these incredible evangelistic meetings and uh, People are getting saved. The demonic spirits are shrieking and they're leaving people. But they need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so they call Peter, James, and John again. And Peter, and James, and John show up. And the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And then, um, then we see uh, Stephen uh, and just this next big breakthrough uh, where not only did Philip uh, get, get to minister to, uh, to the people in Samaria... But he got to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that as well. And then, so this is the next big breakthrough. This is, the, this, this is taking the gospel to what Jesus said, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now we're taking it to the ends of the earth. And it begins with a Gentile convert called Cornelius. And we pick up in Acts chapter 10 in Caesarea. There was a man by the name of Cornelius. He was a centurion. And when the Bible talks about centurions, um, it's typically a good thing. Remember, there was another centurion that, Je that Jesus met, and he asked Jesus, he said, Lord, he says, my servant is at home and he's paralyzed. Would you come and do something? And uh, Jesus says, absolutely, I'll come. I'll, I'll come and do What do you want me to do? And G the centurion said to Jesus, he said, Lord, I'm a man. I understand authority. And he says, uh, you're a man, you have authority in this area, I have authority with my, you know, soldiers, and I tell them to do this, and they do it. He said, all you have to do is say in a word, and Jesus said about the centurion, he says, I've, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel that I find in this man, in this man alone. And so, 
Um, but at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion of what's known the Italian band or the cohort, a devout man. Now, notice this about, about, uh, about Cornelius. He's a devout man. He feared God. Some, some of your translations will say that he is, was a righteous man, that uh, he feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. Now, listen, that sounds like the kind of neighbor that I'd like to have. I'm going to live next door to this guy right here. But there was something that was missing in Cornelius' life. He had all of this stuff going for him. He's praying. Um, he's giving alms to the poor. This, this brings honor to God. We'll talk about this in a moment. Um, he's got a, de a dedicated prayer life. But there's something that's missing in his life. And so at about the ninth hour, remember we said the first hour of the day was 6 o'clock in the morning. So the sixth hour would be about noon. Those were typical prayer times. The first hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And remember earlier we read in Acts that uh, Peter and James and John were going up to the temple and they saw the lame man. They were going up at the ninth hour, which was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Again, the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he uh, stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended to, as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa. Remember we had to Peter and Joppa a couple of weeks ago, and he went to another city where a woman had just died, uh, uh, Dorcas was her name, and um, that she had, she had died, and they sent for Peter, and who was living at, in, in Joppa at that time. He says, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those that attended him. Having related everything to them, uh, he sent them to Joppa. A centurion, of, you know, a man like this, like Cornelius, um, that was a leader of, uh, of, of this group of peoples. There was probably about 100 men that he had authority over. And so he's sending two of his household servants and one of the soldiers to Joppa to, uh, to get Simon Peter. Um, it says that, uh, you know, when that he had entered into Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Oh, no, excuse me. That was the scripture I wanted to quote earlier. He says, so on the next day, uh, they're on their journey, and they're approaching the city. Now, notice at the same time, God typically does this. You'll notice this in your life, that God is working. He usually is working on both ends. He was working with Cornelius, but now he's got to get Peter's attention. And, you know, um, we're going to find out in this story... Uh, Cornelius sends his group of guys, the two devout servants, and a soldier, a Roman soldier. And the next day, they're on their journey. They're approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop. As these three men are coming, Peter's up on the housetop, and he's praying. It's about the sixth hour. This is about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, or while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what a trance is, but if it's, it's a, if it's of God, you know, it's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's some, somewhere between a, you know, being asleep and being awake. 
You know, it's just like, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, you're, you're aware of everything that's going on, but not fully aware of everything that's around you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what a trance is. But he says that he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. I don't know how you, how you view that. Was there an angel on each corner? You know, what's holding the sheet up? But inside this sheet, there's all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And they came, uh, there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill, notice, kill and eat. Because the, the way that the Jews did their sacrifices um, uh, was, uh, you know, was God-ordained and God-stated. It was in the law of Leviticus, how you actually kill the animal that you're going to eat. You know, the, the fastest way, and farmers, you know, if you, any of you ever grew up on a farm, uh, how many of you did, by the way? You grew up, how many of you have ever seen, a, you know, someone kill a chicken? Anybody ever seen? And how'd they do it? Yeah, just like that right there, okay? Yeah, like starting the old Ford tractor. Um, but you know what? According to Jewish law, you couldn't do that. That was called strangulation. And you couldn't, you couldn't, we'll see in the next chapter of Acts, there were, there were three things that when the Gentiles came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they couldn't eat something that had been strangled. They had to stay away from blood, from drinking blood, from fornication. Uh, they, these were the things that they had to stay away from. And so this sheet comes down and, um, you know, this voice, you know, is there and I'm suspecting that. This is the voice that, that Peter has recognized in the past. And the voice says, Peter, you know, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord. You know, and those words don't really go together, do they? Because you can't really say Lord and no in the same sentence. You know, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so Peter's like, no way. You could say no, my friend, no, thank you, no, John or Bill or Susie, no, but you can't say no, Lord. But Peter goes on, he says, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said to him again the second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So, um, I, I, I want to just I want you to get just kind of a little bit of a grip on this because Peter is staying at the house of of, of Simon the Tanner. Um, well, we can already see some of the walls and Peter's you know his strict Jewish faith starting to come down because if you were a Tanner, you were constantly around dead animals. And in Leviticus chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 5, it says that if there is a person who touches anything that is unclean, ceremonially unclean, whether it's a carcass of an unclean or a wild animal or the carcass of an uh, unclean domesticated animal or the carcass of an unclean creeping thing, even if he did not realize it, he himself has become unclean and is guilty and so there was a whole process that you had to go through to get yourself clean again before you could even enter into the temple and worship the Lord and so Simon Peter is living with Simon the tanner who is now in this unclean business and uh, 
And so, you know, he's already kind of tearing down the walls a little bit. So Peter is, uh, we've got, you know, Cornelius' three men on their way. Peter has just had this vision or this trance that he's uh, fallen into and now out of. And in verse 17, it says, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. just as He's like pondering it. He's thinking about it. Behold, the men that were sent by Cornelius, having made some inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. They couldn't even go in because, see, they were Gentiles. And if they would have gone inside the gate, they could go outside the gate. They could stay outside the gate. But if they had gone inside the gate, they would have made the house that's already unclean, more unclean. And so they're outside knocking, and it says that, uh, it says, and while Peter is pondering the, village, the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down. Accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down with the men and said, I'm the one that you're looking for. What is the reason that you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, a God-fearing man, Again, some of your translations may say a righteous man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. And he invited them to be his guests. So they're staying the night. He's inviting the Gentiles to come into his house and stay the night. And the next day, they were several days away. This journey was several days away from where uh, Caesarea was in Joppa. That travel took about two days. It says the next day he rose and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa, and we read in the next chapter, there were actually six of them. There are a total of seven Jews that are accompanying the two servants and the one Roman soldier. Now, I want you to know that when uh, he gets word, you know, that uh, from the other Simon the Tanner, that there are two men and three men down below, and one of them is a Roman soldier, that's probably not a good thing that you want to hear. Um, that's kind of like, you know, have you ever heard that example? You know that it's going to be a bad day when you see the 2020 TV crew show up on your front porch. Or you know it's going to be a bad day when your horn sticks behind uh, a motorcycle group of Hells Angels on the interstate. You know, you know that it's going to be a bad day. You know, it's also going to be a bad day when you look down and you see a Roman soldier knocking on your door after, you know, his uh, Savior had just been arrested and, you know, crucified. And so there's got to be some, th some thoughts going through his mind. I'm not sure if, if um, Simon the Tanner was trying to block for him, you know, like, uh, well, maybe he's here, maybe he's not here. I don't know if he's here. What is it you want? Um, but anyway, it says the next day, God's already told him not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just go on with these guys. And it says, and on the following day, he entered into Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet in worship. And this was not unusual. This was not an unusual thing to do. In fact, you know, when we get to Revelation, we see John constantly doing this, even after the angel tells him over and over again, don't fall down and worship me. Worship God and God alone. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, I, John, am the one that heard and saw these things, and when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me, but he said, don't do that. 
I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all of those that keep the words of the scroll. And then he says, worship God. And so that's what's going on now. We see it also happening with uh, 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 Barnabas and, uh, and uh, uh, Paul in Acts chapter 14. They'd gone into this town, and, and the men of this town, a man was healed, and the men of the town wanted to bow down and worship them and offer sacrifices to them. And Paul and Barnabas scarcely stopped them from, from doing that. But Peter, you know, just reaches down and lifts him up and says, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit with any other nation. But God has shown me, just recently, just like yesterday, God has shown me not to call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection, and I asked then, Why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house. And at the ninth hour, again, three o'clock in the afternoon, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your alms, your good deeds, the things that you've done for the poor, have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is acceptable to him, as far as the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning at Galilee from the baptism of John, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good, healing all of those that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose. To him all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. I want to tell you that was true 2,000 years ago. That is true to today. To everyone that believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his hit in his name from the dead. For he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And while Peter was saying these things, I'm sure that Peter, you know, was probably just you know, just out of his mind thinking about what is going on, what am I going to say, what do they want, what am I going to do? But remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that God says, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. I'll give you the right words in the moment, in that moment to stay. When you're standing before kings and queens and religious leaders, I will give you the right words. And while he was still saying these things, and Peter's just getting warmed up with this message, it says, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. 
This is talking about the Jewish men that had come with, P- with Peter. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some time, and he did. So let me just ask you this. Couldn't, a God, couldn't God have done this an easier way? I mean, why didn't the angel? I mean, the angel shows up while Peter, I mean, while Cornelius is praying, and the angel shows up and says, this is what I want you to do. Why couldn't the angel just have given the message? And we understand that Cornelius lived in Caesarea. Well, guess who else lived in Caesarea? Philip. Philip the Evangelist. Remember Philip the Evangelist? that won all those thousands of people to the Lord? I mean, Philip lived in Caesarea. Why not, why not just go down the street and, you know, get Philip to come and ask him to come and preach and give this message? Any idea? Because I'm telling you guys, there is no way, there is no way in the world that the Jewish council, and all you got to do is just flip the page and go to chapter 11, Peter was under such scrutiny before he even shows up. Before Peter even shows up to the council, they're like, what is it that we hear that you have gone into the house of Gentiles? Explain it. Explain to us. Explain to this council. James was there. James, the brother of of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And some of the other apostles were there. And they're saying to Peter... Peter the Apostle explained to us what you've done. And so Peter has to go into this long explanation. You think that that group would have, you know, if if Cornelius would have showed up and said, hey, we received the Holy Spirit just like you guys did. We're in, you're in, we're all in. No, not buying that. Even from, you know, Philip the Evangelist. I don't care if it was Philip. They would have said, hey, you weren't one of the apostles. You know, we're not believing you either. And so... Here comes the last and final key to the kingdom. Philip or Peter shows up and says, you know what? I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit has fallen on them just like it did us. You know, just like it did the Jews in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit just like we were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, what is going to prevent them from getting baptized? And so they believed. And guys, I want to tell you that and when we talk about, we are talking about church earlier but I'm going to just tell you that I think that sometimes we make things so complicated in church. And I'm not sure if it's because we think we don't have enough to do. Let's just make it more complicated. But notice that they didn't go through a baptism class. They didn't have three or four weeks, you know, to wait it out. Six months to, are you really sure? Are you really, really sure you know, you accepted Jesus, but I'm going to ask you again, are you really sure that, you know, this is the real deal? You know, it's just like, if you're a believer, and I'm saying that to you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized. And you need to get baptized today. What are you waiting for? I mean, God's Word says get baptized. I mean, there's never, I'll explain it to you. I'll explain to you what you're doing and why you're doing it. But you don't need to wait for anything. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I 
We've got one person that's going to get baptized today. He was baptized when he was a, a child. Couldn't even remember it. Like six or seven days old, you know, his parents had him sprinkled as a child. Well, there's not, you know, I'm, I'm not trashing them or bashing that, but the Word of God said Jesus got baptized when he was 30 years old. He understood. He was able to comprehend what he was doing. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to, the next step is you need to repent of your sins, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise is to you and to all those that are far off. So I'm going to move quickly through three points that I see right here that I see in, in Cornelius' life that I really like, and they kind of jump. These are, this is like the big, the big picture for me. Number one, it says, while uh, those of you, while I'm going through these next three points, and I'm going to go quickly, but those of you that have not changed clothes, you need to go change right now and just come and take a seat right here. If you've already changed, just come up and take a seat and, uh, and get ready, okay? Um, number one, it says that he was a devout man. He was a righteous man, and he loved God. In verse 22, he says uh, he was a righteous, God-fearing man. And it says that for our sake that he made him, God made him, speaking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Remember Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. He is a sinless Lamb of God. He's the perfect Lamb of God. Remember when, the, you, know, when you were going through your flock? You looked for the best Lamb in your flock so you could present that. God sent his perfect Son that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's how we become righteous. Uh, Cornelius, let me just say this. Uh, while he is called a righteous man, and he was recognized not only by his own people, but by even the Jewish nation as being a righteous man, all of that righteousness wasn't enough to save him. He was a righteous man, but he still needed to be saved. And some of you may be here today thinking, you know, well, I'm okay. You know, I'm not that, I'm not that bad. At least I hadn't, I hadn't killed anybody. I'm not a murderer. You know, I, we used to go out to the, uh, to the jail. I remember the first time that I went. And you know how, you know, you see on TV, like, you know, you're sitting and on, there's like a cage, there's a wall, there's a glass there, and there's a phone on one side of the wall, and you're on the other side of the wall. I kind of thought that's how it was going to be. But when I went in, they locked me in with all the prisoners. And I thought, wow, I don't even want to begin to ask you guys what you're in here for. <laughs> but, uh, but I remember the first question, it kind of goes back to that scripture about Jesus giving the keys to Peter and I, the first question I ask one of the guys, I says, is there anything I can do to help you? And he says, do you have a key? <laughs> and I thought about it for a second, and my first response was kind of like yours. And I picked up my Bible, and I said, I have the key to life and death and to heaven and hell. Are you interested? And he was. <laughs> so um, it says that, that in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And then in Romans chapter 5, 21, it says, Now, apart from the law of righteousness of God, it says, um, 
It says, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all believe. And so it says that Abraham believed in God, and God counted that his faith or his belief in him as righteousness. So our righteousness comes today simply by putting our faith in Jesus, not by the good things that we do, not by, uh, you know, praying. Cornelius did a great, he was a great man. He, you know, he, did, he was a, a praying man, he was a devout man, he raised his family, and as much as he knew about God as he possibly could, he gave and helped the poor. But none of those things were going to get him saved, and none of those things are going to get you saved. You're going to get saved when you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's when you say that there is nothing out there that I can do to save myself. There's nothing I can do. There's no good works I can do. There's not, a, there's not Bibles, enough Bibles that I can read. There's not enough prayers that I can pray. There's not enough good works that I can do that, that can save me. The only way that I'm going to get saved is when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that he gave to the poor. God expects you and I to do that. In verse 2, it says he gave alms generously. Whosoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and God will repay him for his deeds. And that's been Proverbs 19, verse 17. It says, given it will be given to you. Good measure. This is Jesus speaking from Luke chapter 6. Uh, given it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use to give, it will be measured back to you. And then we see that he prayed. He prayed continually to God. In verse 9, it says that Peter was also praying. As they were on their journey approaching the city, you know, you've got Cornelius praying on one end. Remember, I talked about these two ends. When you're talking about someone or you're thinking about someone, somebody that you want to come to the Lord, I want you to know that God's working on their end, but he's also working on your end as well. So both of these ends, you know, God's got you praying for this person and God's working in their heart at the same time. So he's putting the two together. God was working on Cornelius, saying, you know, Cornelius, I've heard your prayers. And as a result of my hearing your prayers, this is what we're going to do next. I want you to send to Joppa and ask for Peter. And so when he sends men to Joppa, Peter is praying. And God begins to work on him as well. And God is bringing the two ends that he's been working on together. And incredible salvation comes. And the church is born to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have the, this access to the kingdom of God. And in Acts chapter uh, 2, uh, again, you know, Peter's just re recanting. He's saying, you know, what, when, they, when those men ask him what they needed to do to be saved, Peter said, I want you to repent, each one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. And then... We see in Acts chapter 8, same thing. Philip is uh, uh, the evangelist speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, um, it, says that, it says, when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again. But as they approached that water, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, as uh, Philip begins to explain to him from Isaiah 53, who the prophet is speaking about, he says, is this prophet speaking about himself, another prophet, or some other person? And, and Philip is, begins to explain to him that the prophet is speaking about Jesus from Isaiah chapter 53. Um, the Ethiopian eunuch believes, and he says, look, here's water. 
there's water right here. What's, what's to keep me from being baptized today? I'm asking you, what's to keep you from being baptized today? And so, we're going to start baptizing. I want to just stop right there.